We turn in Scripture to Philippians chapter 2. We read the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2, and we read this in connection with Lord's Day 6 of the Catechism on page 5 in the back of the Psalter. Philippians chapter 2, we read this because uh, we're looking uh, at Jesus, how he is fully God and also fully man. And that's what our mediator needs to be. And that's touched upon, that, that's explained in verses 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 2. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves." Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, we're going to look at that language at the end of verse 6, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. We're going to be interacting with some of the language there. It's on the basis of this passage of scripture, on the basis of many passages, that we have the instruction of Lord's Day 6 of the Catechism. And we're going to take two sermons to work through this Lord's Day. This morning we focus in on the first three questions and answers, 16, 17, and 18. Why must he be very man, and also perfectly righteous? Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin, and one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Why must he, in one person, be also very God? that he might, by the power of his Godhead, 
sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Who then is that mediator who is in one person both very God and a real righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And that's as far as we'll consider in the preaching this morning. (coughs) Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said last week Sunday... The Catechism is working very slowly and very carefully here through Lord's Days 5 and 6. And after reading Lord's Day 6 this morning, we might ask if there's anything new here that we didn't already cover in the sermon last week. Well, the main difference between Lord's Days 5 and 6 is that in Lord's Days 5, the Catechism looks at the requirements for our deliverance from a more negative point of view... Whereas here in Lord's Day 6, the Catechism is looking at these same requirements from a more positive point of view. What I mean is, Lord's Day 5 emphasized that God's justice must be satisfied. God will not compromise His justice when it comes to our salvation. And what that ultimately means is this. We cannot make satisfaction for our sins. No mere animal can make satisfaction either for our sins. And no mere creature, no mere created thing, not even an angel, can make satisfaction for our sins. What we need is one who is very man, perfectly righteous, and yet one who is also at the very same time more powerful than all creatures, that is one who is also very God. And so Lord's Day 5 stated the truth in a a more negative way. It tells us what will not work. And here in Lord's Day 6, the Catechism moves on and explains more positively what will work. And it explains, in a positive way, why our mediator must meet those three requirements we mentioned last week. Now before we begin, we should ask the question, why is the Catechism going through this material so carefully? And to answer that, I want to point out just two things. First, the Catechism wants us to understand our salvation. The Catechism doesn't want us simply to be satisfied with the idea, I just feel that I'm saved. I I just feel that God loves me and therefore I must be saved. No, the Catechism wants us to have knowledge. The Catechism wants us to understand, to see why the Christian faith makes sense and why the Christian faith is the only faith in all the world that truly makes sense. The Catechism wants us to be intelligent Christians. The Catechism wants us to know that the way we are saved does not just conform to our own personal feelings or our own fancy, but the Catechism wants us to know that the way we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, meets God's own requirements. And that's why for me personally, 
Lord's Day 5 and 6 are are special Lord's Days. Because I think in my own spiritual journey, growing in knowledge, it was these Lord's Days that really explained in concrete terms why salvation needs to be what it is. And why the Christian faith is what it is. The point is, for anyone in all the world to be saved and to be received back into God's favor, this is the only way. God's justice must be satisfied. And so for any person in all the world to be saved, he must have Jesus as his mediator. It doesn't matter what religion you were born into. It doesn't matter what you think is true. The truth is, Jesus Christ is the only possible mediator in all the world between God and man. And he himself is the way, the only way to the Father. The Catechism wants us to appreciate that. So it's working through details here in Lord's Day 6 that are absolutely foundational for understanding the Christian faith. And then second, the Catechism is going through these things carefully because the Catechism also wants us, of course, to see God's glory and to see that our salvation, the salvation of any man, is exclusively of God. It's all His work from start to finish. And it's all an act of His grace alone. God has decreed and worked our deliverance from sin and misery in just this way through the one mediator, Jesus Christ, so that all the glory goes to Him. And the Catechism is now leading us so that we understand the unspeakable wonder of our salvation. And that's why the Catechism is going through these things slowly. Well, this morning... As we consider the first part of Lord's Day 6, we take as our theme, Jesus Christ, our complete mediator. First, we look at what he must be, question and answers 16 and 17. And then second, I've changed that so that it reads what he has become, what he must be and what he has become, question and answer 18. What we saw last time, God's people need a mediator, a go-between. We can't approach God ourselves. We're sinners. We need someone else to go on our behalf and give God what his justice demands. We need a mediator. And now the catechism is spelling out for us what sort of a mediator we need. And in question and answer 16 and 17, the catechism really gives us four requirements. It might look like there are only three, but there are four requirements the catechism gives for us to have a suitable mediator. First of all, our mediator must be very man. That is, truly man. And what that means is that our mediator must have a real and complete human nature. He must have a human body. He must have a human soul. He must have a human mind and a human will and human emotions. He must be like us in every way except for sin. He must be able to bleed and to die. He must be able to feel pain as a human. And he must also be able to experience love and joy and fear and sorrow and amazement. He must be fully man. Why? Because as answer 16 puts it, the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has has committed sin should likewise make satisfaction for sin. God is just. 
God will not punish any other created thing for the sin which man has committed. The punishment needs to fit the crime. Since our sin has been committed in and through the human nature, the human body, the human soul, the human mind, the the human emotions, such sin can be atoned for, covered, only by suffering human punishment. Death in the human nature. We sin with our bodies, so our bodies need to receive punishment. Our mediator needs to be able to bear in his own body the punishment that we deserve to receive. We sin in our souls, with our souls. Our souls need to receive punishment. Our mediator needs to bear in his own soul the punishment that we deserve. If Jesus is not in all points like as we are, except for sin, then Jesus cannot experience the full punishment for sin that we, according to God's justice, deserve. Now to add something more, still under this first requirement, not only must our mediator be fully human, but more specifically, he must be of our own human race. That is, our mediator may not come to us in a specially created human nature that stands outside the scope of our human race. He needs to be of our human race. Because it's the guilty party that needs to pay for sin. It's this human race. It's our human race that has sinned. And by the way, I think we should all be aware that there are not many races, beloved. There are not many races. There is only one human race. We are all of one race. Whether we are white or black or yellow or brown, we are all of one human race and one blood in Adam. And so we need a man from our human race who has our own blood who makes the satisfaction for sin. As answer 16 of the Catechism says... The justice of God requires that the same human nature which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin. So first, our mediator must be very man and of our human race. Second of all, our mediator must be perfectly righteous. He must be a man who is perfectly righteous. And what that means is that our mediator cannot be personally guilty of any sin himself. And neither can he be corrupted by sin. Our mediator is one who must be completely free from original sin. Both original guilt and original corruption. Our mediator must be one who is not personally deserving of a totally depraved, corrupt, sinful human nature. And our mediator must not be one who is guilty of any actual sins. He must be that pure, spotless lamb that we looked at last week's Sunday. And that makes sense, that he must be perfectly righteous for a, for a few reasons. First of all, this man who's going to appear before God on our behalf is going to make payment for sin. He's going to make satisfaction. And, and of course, if this man is himself a sinner, well, he has his own debts to pay off then before he can begin paying off someone else's debts. That's what the Catechism emphasizes in the second half of answer 16. One who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. The point is, if Jesus himself is a sinner, 
If he has his own debts, well then how can he pay off our debts? He first has his own debts to pay off. That first of all. Second of all, if this man is going to appear before God on our behalf, this man needs to be acceptable before God. God, who is of such holy eyes that he cannot behold iniquity, so that simply to appear before God's holy throne as our mediator, he must be without sin. And if this man is with sin, well, this man himself needs a mediator if he's going to appear before God. That's that second of all. Third, in addition, this mediator needs to bear the punishment for our sin. And even as he bears the punishment for sin, he must be entirely free from sin. He must be so perfectly righteous that even as he bears up under the wrath of God, he does so with a heart that is, that is beating with perfect love and devotion to God. That's the sacrifice that is acceptable. And in addition to that, this man must not only suffer on our behalf, but this man must also live a perfectly righteous life on our behalf, fulfilling all the requirements of God's law positively, not just paying off debt, but living according to the law perfectly, loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving his neighbor as himself, keeping God's law in every single jot and tittle. So our mediator must be one who is perfectly righteous. And now we step back and we, this raises a question, right? If this mediator needs to be of our human race, which we already said, and he needs to be perfectly righteous without original sin, how is that possible? If this man is of our human race, if he comes forth from the loins of Adam according to his human nature, well then doesn't that make this man guilty of original sin, just like the rest of us? If Jesus is of our human race, which he most definitely is, for he's sprung from the tribe of Judah, he's descended from the Jews according to the flesh, and the Jews, of course, descended from Adam. If Jesus is of our human race, well, then how is he not guilty of the sin of Father Adam? And why then doesn't Jesus have a sinful human nature like the rest of us? Well, the answer is twofold. First, there is this difference. Jesus did not receive his person from Adam. Because remember, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And so the difference is this. When Adam sinned, Adam was not representing Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the second Adam who enters into our human race. Jesus, when Adam sinned, Jesus was not under the federal headship of Adam. Jesus was not represented by Adam when Adam sinned. We were. When Adam sinned, Adam was representing us. Our persons come from Adam. But the difference with Jesus is this. Jesus is now of our human race, but that's only because he entered into our human race from the outside. So Jesus was not represented by Adam when Adam fell into sin, but we are. We are personally held responsible for Adam's sin. Jesus is not personally responsible for Adam's sin. Remember, his person is the second person of the Trinity. That's one major difference. And then the second part of the answer is this. When Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and he entered our flesh, 
The Holy Spirit so conceived Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary that that Jesus' human nature was brought forth without any depravity or corruption. What we first need to remember here is that when Jesus entered our human race and took upon himself our human nature, Jesus didn't deserve a totally depraved, sinful nature because he wasn't personally responsible for the sin of Adam. So Jesus didn't deserve to be born into this world the same way that we're born into this world, as a corrupt sinner. And then in addition, when Jesus was brought forth in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit did his work just like he does all his works in a holy fashion. So that Jesus' human nature, when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, his human nature was preserved from the pollution and defilement of Mary's sinful nature. That's what explains the fact that Jesus came into our human race. He is of us, and yet he was without any of his own personal sin or corruption. So second, our mediator must be perfectly righteous. And what I've said really leads into the third requirement of our mediator. Third, our mediator must be very God. And what that means is this. Our mediator can't just be partly God. He needs to be 100% fully, completely God himself. All that God is, our mediator must be. Our mediator must be eternal. He must be infinite. He must be all-powerful. He must be unchangeable. So that as our mediator walks on the earth as a man and he's hungry and he grows tired, that same mediator must be able to say at the exact same time, before Abraham was, I am. Our mediator in the flesh needs to be God. Fully, completely God in the flesh. Why must he be God? Well, that's what answer 17 goes on to address. That he might by the power of his Godhead, sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. And that answer 17 is very carefully worded. Notice it doesn't say that God himself in his deity suffers punishment, but it says that it's the human nature that bears the burden of God's wrath. But you see, he needs to be fully God so that by his Godhead, by his deity, he can fully sustain his human nature. As he, in that human nature, bears the burden of God's wrath. A mere creature, any mere created thing, would simply be crushed under the burden of God's wrath. The one who bears God's wrath must be God himself. Bearing that wrath in his human nature. In addition, he must be God because not only must he bear up, be able to bear up under the wrath of God, he must also be able to obtain for his people eternal life. And part of what is involved there is this. Our mediator who bears the punishment on our behalf must be able to provide to God The sacrifice that is of infinite value and infinite worth. His sacrifice cannot just be of limited value. Because our sins are sins committed against the most high majesty of God. Our sins 
are deserving of eternal punishment. They are of an infinite magnitude. What we need then is a mediator whose life and whose sacrifice are of greater value than the debt of all our sins. So that he not only suffers the punishment for all our sins, but he can come to the end of it. So that he can come to the end of it. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is not just man, but he's fully God. He's God in the flesh. And as such, his blood is of infinite value. When we talk about the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we're not just talking about the shed blood of a man. We're talking about the shed blood of God. The blood of God being shed. And even when compared to the sins of all God's elect people, as big as that pile is, His blood, the blood of God, is able to make a complete atonement for all those sins. It's more than sufficient, the canons of Dort say. In addition to all of this, Our mediator must be fully God because he needs to be able to enter our human race and make himself part of our human race and yet all the while not be responsible for the sins of Father Adam. We talked about that already. And who can do that? Who can enter into our human race from the outside and yet not be responsible for the sins of Father Adam? Only God can do that. So he needs to be fully God. And in addition, he needs to be fully God because he also needs to be able to merit with God. He needs needs to be able to give the sacrifice that he himself doesn't already owe God. Anything that any mere creature does that is good is already owed to God. We cannot merit with God or give God anything more than what he already deserves from us. But our mediator needs to be able to give a sacrifice that is completely voluntarily, voluntary, that's freely given, that's not owed. For this reason alone, our mediator cannot be a mere creature. A mere creature can never merit with God. Our mediator must be our creator God himself who does this act freely of his own will. And in addition to all these things, our mediator must have the power to restore to restore us to life. And only God can do that. So third, our mediator must be fully God. Fourth and finally, for someone to be our suitable mediator, he must be both God and man in one person. Now that's implied in everything that's been said so far, but it's still part of the wonder of who Jesus is. Jesus is not just fully God, and Jesus is not just fully man, but he is fully God and fully man in one person. This is what theologians refer to as the hypostatic union. Maybe you've heard that language. The word hypostatic is simply the Greek word for person. This is the personal union, the hypostatic union. So Jesus has two natures. He has two beings, a divine being and a human being, a divine nature and a human nature. And these two natures are intimately united together in the one person of Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity. Really, we should describe it this way. Jesus is God. That's where we start. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And as such, he's fully God. He's a partaker of the divine nature. 
And in the incarnation, that second person of the Trinity, who's a partaker of the divine nature, took to himself a human nature. That human nature was united to the person of the eternal Son of God. So that the human nature and the divine nature are now united in the one person of the second person of the Trinity. That's called the hypostatic union. And all of this is necessary for our salvation. All of this is impressive for us. This is what is required. This is very humbling from a practical point of view. Our mediator needs to be one person. And yet he needs to be fully God and fully man. How do you do that? Well, beloved, that's what, exactly what we celebrate now as we enter into the Christmas season. This is Christmas. This is the wonder of the incarnation, God coming in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, taking upon himself our human nature. This is what God does. And it is all because God himself, in his own infinite goodness and grace, chose to provide the mediator and chose to serve as the mediator of a sinful, wretched people. Now, when we look at the scripture, we see that everything here taught in the catechism that we've just gone over is clearly taught in the scripture. Of course it is, but we want to point that out. We could use many passages, but we also read it in Philippians chapter 2. It's very striking that in Philippians chapter 2, as Paul is talking about these deep truths, He's talking about it in the context of a very practical issue. He's talking about humility. He wants God's people to be humble. And in order to teach them what their humility should look like, he points them to Jesus. Verses 5 and 6, Paul writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now let's stop there and explain in verse 6, Paul writes, who being in the form of God. What that simply means is this, Jesus is God. To say that Jesus was in the form of God simply means that Jesus' essential character, his essential nature was that he is God. He is bedecked with the majesty of God. He is in the form of God. He is God. But then Paul writes, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And that's difficult language. What does that mean? I think there's especially two ways to understand it, two acceptable ways. First, what it means is this. Jesus already possessed equality with God. And Jesus did not think it would have been wrong to show himself to be equal with God. Now, I think if we had just our King James in front of us, that would be how we read it. That's how I would read it from the King James. And that does get at the idea. But to express it even more literally and, and better, the idea is really this. Who being in the form of God, Jesus didn't see his equality with God as something to be clung to. As something to be grasped or snatched up. That's the idea of the word robbery. Jesus doesn't cling to his equality with God as something as if it's stolen treasure, as if he got it through robbery and he clung to it and he grasped it in that way as what you might cling to when you've robbed something. That's the idea of the wording. Now what that isn't saying is that Jesus stopped being God or Jesus counted it a light thing to be God. That's not the idea, but the idea is this. 
that Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, was comfortable. I think that's a nice way of putting it. He was comfortable with taking upon himself the form of a man. He was comfortable with that. He, he didn't think being God was simply something to be clung to. But he was comfortable also becoming a man. He willingly came down to earth to pay, take upon himself our human flesh. That's, that's the idea of verse 6. So that as verse 7 goes on to say, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And what these verses are clearly teaching us is that Jesus, who is God and who remains God, voluntarily, freely, comfortably took upon himself our humanity. And not just our humanity, but even the form of a servant. A servant of God to do God's work. And he humbled himself even to the point of suffering and dying on the cross. That's humility, saints at Philippi. God himself freely, comfortably, willingly, humbling himself to take on the form of a servant. Humbling himself even to death to save his people from their sins. And that's an example for us. Now, as we know, Jesus didn't cease to be God. Otherwise, his death would have accomplished nothing. As we've already seen, Jesus needs to be fully God. But here's the point. He who was fully God also became fully man and took to himself our human nature so that in that human nature, he could do precisely this work of a mediator that we're looking at here in Lord's Day 6. God himself became the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And God himself went the way of the cross and shed his own blood to save his people from their sins. And this is the only way it was possible. This is how great our sins are. And again, I want to emphasize, this is irrespective of whatever religion you were born into or whatever you currently believe. This is the only way it is. And we need to just humble ourselves before these truths. This is the only way it is possible to be saved. This is how great our sins are. But this is also how great our maker's grace is. That he should do this. That he should do this. For us, God would live the perfect life of obedience that we fail to live. And for us, God himself would bear the punishment for all our sins. And God would restore us to his favor. And to us, he lavishes all the blessings of salvation. And it's all by design, beloved. It's all according to his eternal purpose and decree. All for the glory of his name. This is what our mediator must be. And now the question is, what has he become for us? This is what he must be. Now what has he become for us? And that leads us to the second point of the sermon and question and answer 18. What did Jesus in the flesh accomplish? Who then is that mediator who is in one person both very God and a real righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And what is that saying? 
What it's saying is this. Jesus has become your everything. He did everything. He is your everything. He accomplished your complete redemption. And he is your everything. And this is who he is as your mediator. Note especially the words of God is made unto us. Jesus is of God made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. I feel I get a little wordy here as I, as I prepared this, but we, want, we need to appreciate this. Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our sanctification. Jesus does not just make you wise or give you wisdom, although that is true. Jesus does not just give you righteousness so that you are legally righteous before God, although he does do that. Jesus does not just make you sanctified and devoted to God, although he does do that. But the point is, Jesus is these things. He is made unto us these things. By the instrument of faith, he is given to us And receiving Jesus, we have wisdom, and we have righteousness, and we have holiness. God has made for us, unto us, a fountain of wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. And that fountain which God has made unto us is Jesus. All these things we lack. In fact, we have the very opposite of these things. But God has made Jesus to be wisdom, to be righteousness, to be sanctification unto us. So again, Jesus does not just make us wise. He is our wisdom. In Jesus is the power to deliver us from our foolishness and make us wise. He can fill us with wisdom. And the very wisdom by which we are made wise is Jesus himself. All our right ways of thinking about God. That's Jesus, beloved. Any right thoughts we have about God is because this is Jesus in us. He is our wisdom. It's all Jesus. Jesus does not just make us legally righteous before God. Jesus is our righteousness before God. In Jesus is the very power to deliver us from our unrighteousness and make us righteous before God. So that we have a righteous standing before God. And the very righteousness by which we are righteous before God is Jesus. All our right standing before God, all our acceptance before God is Jesus. God accepts Jesus as our righteousness. Jesus is our acceptance before God. It's all Jesus. Jesus does not just sanctify us. He is our sanctification. In Jesus is the power to deliver us from our corruption and make us wholly devoted to the Lord. And the very sanctification, the very source of our holiness, the very power by which we are sanctified is Jesus himself. All our devotion to God, beloved, that is Jesus. That is Jesus in you. And thirsting, any thirsting we have for God, any exercise unto godliness is because that's Jesus in us. Jesus in us and through us. 
It's only out of him that we live and walk in holiness before the Lord. My holiness, my life of devotion to God, that is nothing else but the life and the power of Christ Jesus in me. Jesus lives in me, and the only way I live is out of Jesus. It's all Jesus. That's who Jesus is as your mediator. This is what Jesus has become unto us. In and of ourselves, we are dead in sins. We are polluted and defiled, hating God and hating one another. We looked at that in the first section of the catechism. But as our mediator, this is who Jesus is unto us. This is what he has become unto us. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our complete purification and our consecration to the living God. That's what that passage is saying. It's very deep. And what's more, he is all of God. He is all of God. Jesus is our mediator. But Jesus is not some third party intervening between God and us. We had nothing to do with arranging Jesus as our mediator. There is nothing in him that is to be attributed to us. He is all of God. Of ourselves, we didn't even want Jesus as our mediator. But this is God's doing. Jesus is made of God and he is wholly commissioned by God to accomplish and be our deliverance. And even now, your joyful response in hearing who Jesus is as your mediator, that joy is because of the mediator's own work within you. Doing the work that God gave him to do. God is the one who makes Jesus our everything. Even our confession that Jesus is our everything, that confession is itself all of God and the work of God in us through the mediator. God would have us confess that all things are of him. And God works that confession in us through the mediator, Jesus the Christ. Having Jesus, we have redemption. And maybe you've noticed I haven't treated that word yet. He is our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification. He's also our redemption. And that word redemption is just a summary word that says he is our everything. He is our whole redemption. Having Jesus, we have everything. All our confidence, all our hope, all our joy is completely filled up and satisfied in Jesus. He is our everything. And this is who he is as our mediator. From the before the foundation of the world, he was decreed to be our wisdom, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In his incarnation, he went to work doing that work of the mediator that was necessary for our redemption. Purchasing redemption through his life and his death and his work as a mediator already then in his earthly life. But now also in time, in our own lives, as Jesus opens our hearts and pours out his Holy Spirit into our hearts and he engrafts us into him by a true and living faith, in our lives, Jesus has been made in truth our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. And it is all of God. Believer, you have a mediator. Does that not throw your heart with joy? Never forget it. 
Whenever you go to God in prayer, whenever you think of God, whenever you think of your sins, whenever you think of how you want to show God your love, always rejoice in this. You have a mediator. You have a savior. As the angels sang at Christmas time, glory to God, glory to God in the highest. And if there are any here this morning that are not believers, as I said last week, I want to impress upon you, don't you see that this is your only hope? This is the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Call on him. Call on his name, the only name, under heaven whereby we must be saved. And you shall be saved. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for Jesus. Oh, how lost we were. We've seen it, Lord. But Thou art a glorious God, the God of all grace and all power, and Thou hast made Thyself to be our everything. How now shall we live but to live with all that we are, everything that Thou hast made us to be, to Thy glory and honor. Help us, Lord. Give us those blessings that we need through the mediator, Jesus Christ. And receive our worship and our thanks through the mediator's name. Amen.